Welcome to Doing CX Right, a podcast where we discuss how to differentiate brands by doing customer experience right. I'm your host, Stacey Sherman, an author, award-winning keynote speaker, and mentor passionate to help you humanize business and improve experiences to achieve real results. Did you know that we're on the cusp of a marketing and customer service revolution? My featured guest and very well-known author, Mark Schaefer, has been teaching and writing about how to stand out in a busy competitive marketplace. He's truly an expert, especially about ROI, return on influence. It's about getting and keeping customers through influential marketing. What does that mean now versus the past? What are other important trends to plan for? How can you identify influencers for your brand and also become an influencer too in your industry? You're going to hear actionable tips about these topics and much more, including the best leadership advice Mark's received that's instrumental to his success and that can apply to your life too. Please share this episode with others who can benefit. Subscribe to Doing CX Rate Podcasts on your favorite channels and leave me a review. It means a lot. Now, let's get on with the show. Hello, Mark Schaefer. Welcome to the Doing CX Right Show. Hi, Stacey. It's nice to be reconnected with you. Yes, reconnected. And it shows that you never know who you're going to meet in life years and years back and how it all comes back together. And it's a... Fun story where you began, and we'll get to that. So talk to me about what you do professionally. Yeah, I spent um, most of my career in executive marketing positions with a Fortune 100 company. Had a really great experience there, leading a global team. I started my own business about, oh gosh, I think it's 14 or 15 years ago. And um, started consulting and uh, writing, creating content like you're doing. And um, that led to writing books. And so um, I've written nine books. I have a 10th book coming out soon. But what I really love most of all is uh, doing consulting, is doing marketing strategy consulting. I also do a lot of keynote speaking The books led to a lot of invitations to speak, and I do a lot of other things. I still teach at Rutgers, where I originally met you. I've been doing that for, I think, 12 or 13 years now, and I love that. They've been very good to me there, and um, so shout out to the Garden State and Rutgers. Yes, and it was a great class, so I I definitely encourage people to get to know you and your content because I learned a lot about social media marketing and digital marketing and the mini MBA I got in, in that after uh, many years of, of a full-time MBA. So not about me today. Let's talk about you, your why. Why this career choice? Well, that's a big question. (laughs) Originally, I was a journalism major. And uh, in my junior year, I took uh, my first marketing class and I opened up the book, Principles of Marketing by Dr. Philip Kotler. And in the book, it said, marketing is a combination of sociology, 
uh, anthropology and psychology. I thought that is the coolest career ever. I want to do that. And so eventually I, 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 I pursued that career and, um, got my MBA and, and, um, and got an emphasis in, in marketing, got to study under, uh, Peter Drucker at Claremont, at the Claremont Graduate University. He was teaching there. That was a wonderful experience. And then, um, yeah, started my own business, uh, just started, uh, consulting and that led to the books and speaking. And, um, that's, that's where I am today. I love the trigger of how you got into marketing because uh, I remember also back when I was intrigued by subliminal advertising <laughs> and there was no internet then and <laughs> and I was so interesting and that's psychology too so yes right and I, you know it, it's just endlessly fascinating because you, you have to be a change junkie to be in marketing you know you know, if you're studying economics or accounting, you know, I mean, it changes, but I mean, marketing changes every day and the things going on right now are just, are just head spinning. So you really have to love the excitement of, of, of marketing. Agree. What's one fun fact that people may or may not know about you personally or professionally? Uh, one of the weird things about me is um, uh, I actually won an Oscar. <laughs> I was working in communications at a big industrial plant in Indiana. And we wanted to make like a little, you know, just a, an explainer video. This was before the internet. Uh, an explainer video. So when people visited our, our giant location, they could kind of know what it was about. So we hired this firm in, in Louisville, Kentucky. And they said, you know, we have an idea. We think we could, this would be a lot more beautiful if we did it on film. It kind of gives this rich sort of look. We said, okay, it wasn't that much more money. So they did this thing on film and it actually was beautiful. I'll never forget the last lines of the film. It was an hourly worker and he said, if there were ever a um, someone that would take the place of my wife, it would be this plant. <laughs> and then there's this like barge going down the river on the sunset. Well, they submitted it to the Academy Awards and they had a category for industrial filmmaking. They don't have that category anymore. They haven't had it for years, but in the mid 1980s, they had this category. They submitted it and they won. So in the in the in the lobby of this industrial plant, there's an Oscar sitting there. <laughs> oh, that is a fun fact. I would not have guessed that for sure. Well, let's get to the meat of the show and talk about the ROI return on influence to gain and keep customers. Now Let's peel this back. You have mentioned we're on the cusp of a marketing revolution for quite some time. And, and I bet it's even changing. And a lot of it is being led by you, by me, by us. What does right. that mean? Well, we're in a world where people don't trust 
advertising and marketing anymore. I'm sure you're familiar with the famous Edelman Trust Barometer, where they look at trust measures all around the world. I think they've done this for maybe 15 years or so now. And every single year, trust in companies and advertising and brands is going is going down. But who do people trust? We trust each other. We mm. trust our friends. We trust our neighbors. We trust te- technical experts. We trust founders, entrepreneurs, many company leaders because they're human. Mm-hmm. And so uh, this is something I, I forecast. I wrote the first book on influence marketing back in 2012 before anybody was even using that term. And I said, everything's coming together in this way where the power is shifting from these big media companies Hmm. and big brands to individuals like me and you who are creating Hmm. content, becoming known, and, and we're becoming the brand. And to the extent that employees in a company can achieve that sort of status or knownness, and I'm not talking about you know, being a TikTok star or something like that. What I'm just talking about is having the the authority and the and the presence on the web to get your job done. If you're known and your competitors aren't, you'll get more opportunities. I think every company should be looking at this. And that's why I think increasingly the personal brand will become the brand, especially for small to medium-sized businesses. So I think, you know, encouraging employees to have an effective internet presence, even training employees. I've done training at big companies to help executives and even, even all the way down to floor level employees. How do you tell stories on the internet? That's how the story of our, of our companies and our brands are going to get out these days. Mm. So a couple of things you said, which um, touched my heart. Good and and pain. <laughs> well, I've worked in companies for many, 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 many years, corporate life. And there are some companies that really embraced my mm. desire to be an authentic influencer out in the marketplace. And there's other brands that did not like it. It cost me a promotion. Mm. And so it's been a, a, you know, a little bit of a seesaw. Yeah, well, that company was dumb. (laughs) I'd like to bring you to uh, some people there. I hope they listen. (laughs) But in all seriousness, idea of fear and 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 power. It's. it's, I mean, it's always been there. I mean, back in my corporate days, we were always afraid. Like our our very best salesperson. What if they left? What if they went to the competitor? So you can't run your company that way. You've got to attract the best people. You've got to nurture the best people. You've got to look out for them. What you know? In my days, all I wanted to do was get people promoted. I mean, I wanted to grow them, grow them, grow them, get them promoted. So you can't really be selfish about this. And one of the important things today to help a person grow is to help them grow everywhere to help their brand grow everywhere. And guess what? That's going to help you. That's going to be the most effective marketing you do because they'll believe Stacy a hundred times more than they're going to believe your dumb ads, which they don't even see. 
Yeah. Well, and that goes back again to trust, yeah. right? So, so companies really trusting their employees mm-hmm. and giving them the rope to do the right thing out in the marketplace because we are of the face of the brands that we're associated with and work for. So we got to be smart. At the same time, there are very conservative brands and that is a reality. Mm -hmm. And they have a long way to go. (laughs) Yeah. And and that's going to show, I mean, in, I believe, yeah, it was my marketing rebellion book. I got to interview an entrepreneur up in, uh, uh, Boston. He was the founder of a video company up there called Wistia. And he's just an amazing guy. And he said, what I learned is that your culture is your marketing. If you get your culture right, you'll get your marketing right. Because the culture is the story that's going to be told about you in the marketplace. A brand used to be what we said it was. Today, a brand is what people tell each other. And they're, they're going to tell stories about your company and that's all going to come from the culture. So you got to get the culture right. And that's going to help you get your marketing right. And not only get your marketing right, it gets you to attract customers, the right ones. Yeah, let's hope so. So now let's talk about, you started this whole era of influential marketing, you said years ago. Has it changed from now? Is it new? Is it not new? Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 changed in, it's changed dramatically. Um, when I wrote the book, I predicted that in two years, it would be influence marketing would become a mainstream marketing channel. And if you look at Google Trends, in 2012, when the book came out, there was nothing. Nobody was looking for that. Sure enough, 2014, it goes up like a hockey stick. The things that are different, first of all, it has become a mainstream marketing strategy. It's becoming much more professional, much more sophisticated, especially in B2B. I work with big brands like Dell and Microsoft and Cisco, and they treat their influencers like a journalist or like an analyst. So they're treated, you know, with, with a lot of respect. They're given a lot of access. So I think that's been great. I think the money going into uh, influence marketing has just exploded. I think three years ago, the number was $2 billion a year. The number, I think, for this year is like $16 billion. It's become a $16 billion industry influence marketing. So that's a wow. big change. Another change is sort of the dynamics of influence. When I was starting out, I mean, to be an influencer, you sort of had to be an expert at something. Maybe you could fix things or you could paint things or you were, you know, a digital marketing consultant like I was. Today, a lot of the young influencers are entertainers. TikTok is the platform, right? So, we need to, so it, it, it's, it's a really different dynamic. Of course, there are still experts out there, but in some respects, TikTok is sort of like the minor leagues for Hollywood. I think that's the way it's, it's, it's going to be. So, but they're, they're becoming very, very powerful uh, people. So more professional, a lot more money, dynamics are changing. 
And um, I think the final thing is, is there's, there's a movement, I think, away from big name, big powerful influencers to working more with advocates or another word uh, would be micro influencers. These are people mm. who might just have like a thousand followers, but when they say something, you know, they really sell things because they're very, yeah. they're very trusted. You don't really need all the time a long-term relationship. You just need to give them some of your product, come alongside them for a couple of weeks and then, you know, move on and everybody's happy. So that's another one of the big trends that's happening. You mentioned something about really finding those thought leaders who are trusted and have a good following, but yet they may not have thousands and thousands of followers. And I think that's a really tough or interesting debate because there's a perception that the numbers are that person's got to be great, but in essence, it, quality over quantity. So what are your views on that as for influencers? Yeah, well, I would definitely take quality over quantity, but hopefully you can get um, a little bit of both um, mm -hmm. because it's just like ad impressions. The bigger the audience, you know, perhaps the more successful you can be. But you do have to be aware that to be an influencer, it is really, really, really competitive. And it's something like 75% of American teens want to be influencers right now. There's going to be a lot of disappointed teens <laughs> um, because you, you have to be great. I mean, yeah. it's just like if you want to be a basketball star, you got to practice like LeBron. You know, if you if you if you want to be a musician, you've got to practice and be like Taylor Swift. Yeah. In every field, the elite will, will raise will rise to the top, and it's it's the same with influencers. Not everybody's going to make it. So, I think because of the competition, a lot of people cheat. A lot of people buy followers. You've got to be aware of that. It's pretty mm -hmm. easy to detect. But I think the most important quality is values. If you work with an influencer, it's likely or possible that that influencer be could become the best known person associated with your company. Now, if you are hiring a marketing employee, you would do something more than look at how many followers they have on Instagram. Yes, You'd want to look at their resume. You'd want to look at their content. You'd want to interview and talk to them and see what they stand for because you don't want to be embarrassed. So it's a very, it's, it's just, it's a very important decision. It's a very important hire. And I'd, I'd also ask people who work in your company. They probably know these people. What do you think? Do you follow mm. them? What kind of a person are they? Mm. Which is a good way to at least find those people that are in yeah. your niche or your industry. Is there a link in your mind to all the books you've written around marketing and the return on marketing, the return on influence. What's the connection to customer experience? Because we know CX is booming. We know that people are going to buy not just ba based on price. Yeah. What's your perspective on CX with all of this? I think over the last 10 or 12 years, probably the trajectory of my career has followed one burning question. How do we stand out? How can we be heard? You know, we're in this overwhelming 
in, you know, world of information density where you and I and our jobs, we're not just competing with our business mm-hmm. competitors. We're competing with mm-hmm. the Mandalorian. We're competing for attention with all this stuff coming at mm-hmm. us, TikTok and everything else going on. How, how can we be seen? How can we be heard? How can we be discovered? And as I said, brand used to be what we said it was, and now it's what uh, what people tell each other. And a lot of that comes from customer service. If you get mm-hmm. good customer service, you know, a few people will talk about you. If people experience bad customer service, more people will talk about you. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. customer service is probably the most critical area of, of marketing right now because we've gone through this this debacle of of the pandemic where number one, we had a surge in online orders. The nature of customer service changed. People can't hire enough people, good customer service people to meet that change. Studies show that people working remotely are not as effective as people working in a call center. I don't completely understand that, but that's what the research is showing. And Mm -hmm. I think uh, it was something like 82% of American consumers said that they're receiving less satisfying customer service today than before the, the pandemic. So we've got a big problem. We've got labor, labor rates. We've got the, the big, res, the great resignation. We've got quiet quitting. <laughs> we have all these things going on and customer service is really taking a hit. So. I think it's the number one place we should really be focusing right now. That is that is a large extent your 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 marketing. That's that's your 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 battleground with your with your customers and your competitors today. It, for many companies it's going to be customer service. Thank you for saying that cuz then it gives me some job security. <laughs> oh, you, you should have the most secure job in your company. <laughs> Or just in the world. I mean, I really believe in this and thank you for uh, reinforcing it. Speaking of social media, and by the way, for listeners to also realize that social media is a channel for customer service and people are watching how brands respond or don't respond to people's chatter. But with that aside, Twitter right now, Mm -hmm. is it stuck can it be saved? What's your view? Well, on one level, I would never bet against Elon Musk. <laughs> uh, you know, but on another level, it's Twitter is really it's it, it's such a mess. I I really don't think that Elon Musk had a plan. I I think he was being sued because his deal fell through. He didn't live up to his his deal about buying Twitter. And he probably said, all right, do I spend money on this lawsuit or do I go ahead and buy this thing? And he, he decided, I think, to buy it and didn't really know what he was getting into. Um, what's going on now, it, it does, it, you know, I'm not saying that there couldn't be a comprehensive plan that comes out of this, but in the early days, that certainly has not, been the case. It's just like trying, trying, trying things. The biggest problem he has is, so 
Jack Dorsey was one of the founders of Twitter, and Jack Dorsey started another company called Medium. It's, it's sort of a blogging newsletter sort mm -hmm. of outlet. And one of the things Dorsey did early on was saying, we are not going to have ads because ads drive hate speech and toxicity <laughs> because you need eyeballs and you need time on site and hate is good for business. So he said, we're not going to do that. It drives the wrong content. We are only going to have subscriptions. Now, that's what Elon's trying to do. 90, I think it's 94% of Twitter's revenue comes from ads. He's he, literally, you've got to have controversy. You've got to have toxicity. You've got to have hate. That drives usage on the platform. People spend more time when they're hating each other and arguing. I know that sounds weird, but that's really the way the dynamics work. Facebook faced the same thing. Facebook, I think it was three or four years ago, they had an executive committee that realized how much divisiveness and hate was being driven by the algorithms at Facebook. They created this committee. They went to Zuckerberg with a plan. He trashed it, ignored it. There was, a, I think it was in the Wall Street Journal reported on this whole thing because he needs the eyeballs. He needs the ad revenue. So he chose hate. He chose toxicity. That's where Twitter is now too. Twitter can become more profitable with hate unless they have more subscriptions. I got news for you. There is no way he can drive subscriptions fast enough to overcome that dynamic. So that's why I think they're kind of stuck. It's going it, to, to drive to drive eyeballs, to drive usage, they've got to let more toxicity onto the platform. That's going to drive, you know, the, the, the irony is it's going to drive the good advertisers away. So it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's a weird, weird dynamic. And it's totally opposite from what CX professionals are striving to do is to bring the heart to business. Right. So... It pains me to hear this, and yet it is the truth. And bad noise does bring attention, and there's clearly a strategy behind that. Yeah, I mean, hopefully most of the time, there's not a strategy behind it. Hopefully most, most places, the strategy is to get rid of toxicity, but it's been documented that, that, that Facebook encourages it. I think the number yeah. that was reported in that article was 88% of the membership of hate groups on Facebook got there through a Facebook recommendation. I mean, Facebook is was driving membership in hate groups. So, I mean, it's 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 a sad, sad situation. Twitter yes. is sort of in the same bind. So I love Twitter. I I I, I years ago. I wrote the best-selling book on Twitter. Uh, I've always followed it. I've always loved it. Uh, and like I said, I, I won't, I won't bet against Elon Musk. But there's got to be a better plan than what he's got right now. Time will tell. Well, we're coming to the end. I'm going to do some rapid-fire questions to you. All right. And you're ready. So, what is the best leadership advice? you've either been given or you have told somebody else? 
Uh, something that meant a lot to me is uh, when I, I studied under Peter Drucker and he used to tell us that um, being a great leader doesn't mean you have all the right answers. It means you have the right questions. Uh, and mm. that's certainly a style I use in my consulting practice. I love that. I'm going to keep that one in my head and use it. If I had tons of CEOs and entrepreneurs and leaders in my room right now, what's the one takeaway you want them to remember? I think it would be this. The subtitle of uh, my Marketing Rebellion book is The Most Human Company Wins. And I really believe that with every fiber is that we need to look at everything we're doing, every customer touch point and see how do how can we show our heart our smiles? Can they hear our voices? Can they see our faces? Can they hear our, our passion for what we do and our compassion? And we have to look at every email, every complaint, every meeting, every PowerPoint slide, and think about how do we show up as the most human company? I think that is really the path to success. Completely opposite of Twitter right now. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, if we could go back in time, you go back in time to your younger 20-year-old self based no, on what you, you know now. Back in time. <laughs> <laughs> based on what you know now that you didn't know then, what would you tell younger Mark? You know, I, I get that question quite a bit and I, I have an unusual answer. It, it's like, you know, I don't really care about the mistakes and everything that went wrong because that's made me who I am today. I mean, it's forged mm. me to, to where I am. I'm very happy where I am. I have a very rewarding career. I help people every day. I have fun every day. So, you know, I'd, I'd, you know, I'd say, well, you know, look out, there's some bumps in the road, but you know, I would, I wouldn't change a thing. It's, 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 it's not, not that I don't have, I haven't made mistakes. It's not that I, you know, ha don't have some regrets, but you know, it got me to where I am today. And that's, that's life. I mean, that's everybody's life. You just have to build on those strengths, transcend the problems and, um, you know, be a better person. Mm. So in other words, you tell yourself, trust the process. Trust the process. Yeah. Hold on tight. <laughs> and buckle up. <laughs> yeah. Buckle up. Well, Thank you for being on the show and your new book's coming out in January. What is it called? It's called Belonging to the Brand. Mm -hmm. Why Community is the Last Great Marketing Strategy. And you're going to need a whole nother show to cover that one, Stacey. Clearly. <laughs> so you'll be back and sure. I will add it to my show notes. And I'm so grateful for you. And I'll make sure that all the different ways to connect with you are in the show notes. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Stacey. Thank you so much for joining today. I hope you will apply the lesson shared and also requesting if you would leave a review on Apple, it would mean a lot. Head over to doingcxright.com to learn more ways to connect with me and improve your CX. Until next time, I'm Stacey Sherman, doing CX right.